All right, friends, please go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 with me again this morning. Genesis chapter 1. Today we are going to conclude the initial creation account of Genesis chapter 1 by studying the creation of the human race together. And we're going to do that this morning by looking at verses 26 to 31. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. One of the greatest issues of our day is the lack of respect for human life, right? Now, respect for human life or lack of respect for human life has always been an issue in our world and in every culture that has ever existed. Even in ancient times, going back to ancient Rome and beyond, things like abortion were commonplace. Racism and violence against others were commonplace. Every culture can be extremely disrespectful and even violent towards certain groups of people. And so I don't mean to speak too disparagingly of our culture this morning, but disrespect for human life does seem to be extremely high in our day and age. And here in America, this is true in a culture that claims to love all of life. Our culture here in America really does try hard to respect people for who they are, or at least we claim to, right? The call of the American dream is to respect people for who they are and to accept them as they are. And and there's something good in that. We can thank God for the heart that is behind some of that cultural burden. However, within this culture that calls so loudly for respect towards those around us, we can still see an incredible amount of disrespect, right? It's painful to watch. And friends, I don't just mean with things like abortion and racism, but also in other areas as well. The way we view each other in this country is so dark. We have a skepticism and a suspicion of everyone around us. All you need to do is watch the news for a few minutes, jump on the next door online community, or or join a Facebook group for your local area, and you will quickly hear and see the disdain that people have for those around them. People hate those that they don't agree with. 
They despise those of different political opinions. They loathe those who speak against what they believe to be true. People hate their bosses and their co-workers and the governing authorities. People in the church hate and slander people from the churches that they have left. And friends, all of this comes from a lack of respect for human life. And listen, it's not just even towards other people. Lack of respect for human life can also be seen in how we view ourselves. Depression, self-harm, suicide are everywhere in our world and sadly even within the church. Teenagers think darker thoughts about themselves today than ever before. But it doesn't stop at that age. Self-hate, self-harm, even suicide can be seen in every stage of life. Friends, we have lost a respect for the personhood of others and for the personhood of ourselves. And this is very dangerous. We must be careful to consider the effect that an incorrect or low view of humanity can have on ourselves and on the culture around us. And church, within the body of Christ, we must recapture. We must recapture and maintain and celebrate the biblical view of humanity. Friend, what the Bible says about who you are as a person is absolutely essential to living a healthy and fruitful life. What the Bible says about the personhood of those around you is essential to experiencing healthy and fruitful relationships and to practicing healthy communication skills. And friends, the good news this morning is that this is possible. We can all grow in this area because God has designed us for this and because his word speaks directly to this. Here's the main idea of our message today. God's good design of humanity deserves our respect and demands our diligence. God's good design of humanity deserves our respect and demands our diligence. And we have four points to consider this morning. Point number one, the dignity of humanity. Point number two, the design of humanity. Point number three, the dominion of humanity. And point number four, the declaration over humanity. Those are our four points. Let's go ahead and begin with the first. Point number one, the dignity of humanity. What does the word dignity even mean? What does it mean to have dignity within ourselves? Well, the dictionary definition of the word dignity says that it means the state or quality of being worthy of honor or respect. And so here's the question this morning. Does humanity have inherent dignity? Are we inherently worthy of honor and respect in a way that is distinct from the earth around us? Well, according to the secular perspective of how this world came into existence, and honestly, according to many other religions out there that say that humanity is no different from the physical world, it is very difficult to say from those perspectives that we do have inherent worth as people. If this world is, is just a circle of life, or if this world is just a, a bunch of matter that a, a random evolutionary process has happened to create, well then it is almost impossible to say that humanity has any greater level of dignity than anything else. Why? Because we're no different from anything else. Now, we might be the latest and the great, greatest version of everything else. We might, in a sense, be the peak of the evolutionary process thus far. 
but when a better version eventually evolves, well, then it's going to be out with the old and in with the new. It is very hard, if not impossible, to say that humanity, that people have dignity when you view the world through the secular, materialistic, humanistic perspective. However, that is not what we see from God's Word. We begin to see immediately in our text this morning that humanity does indeed have great dignity. And it's not a dignity that comes from just being the latest and greatest product of the evolutionary process. No, it's much more than that. Look at verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This verse 26 shows our greater dignity than the world around us by showing us how distinctive the moment of our creation was from the rest of creation, right? Nowhere else in the creation account in Genesis 1 do we see God take counsel within himself and declare his intention to create in as particular a way as this. We we can also see how humanity has greater dignity than the world by how God goes on to, to give the rest of creation to Adam and Eve as a gift. He gives it to them in order to rule over. We also see the greater dignity in in the order of creation. Humanity is created last, meaning that it's the, the climax of the creation account. Adam and Eve and all of humanity are clearly separated from and put above the rest of creation. And friends, we see that even more when we consider how God made them. Look again at verse 26. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. These two words, image and likeness, are very helpful to us in understanding why and how we have dignity before God. The the Hebrew word for image is salam, and the, the Hebrew word for likeness is demut. Both of those words refer to something by definition that is similar but not identical to the thing that it represents. And both of these words are are almost synonymous terms. They they can almost be interchangeable. But the word image is a little bit different in that it can also be used to speak of something being carved out of something and then practically, physically used to represent something else or someone else. And so, folks, here's the sense of this verse. God created humanity in order to be like him in certain respects with certain attributes that he's given us and to represent him in a practical way in this world. A biblical understanding of humanity is to say that we have been made in a very distinct way from the earth around us and that we have a God-given role to represent him in this world. Folks, this is extraordinary. Listen, you are a picture of God himself. Your life, your personhood, your being is a reflection of who the creator is. Even if you're not a Christian here this morning, your your mind and your skill set and your relational capacity and your moral compass, all of these things are signs that you're not just part of this earth. No, you are the crown of creation according to God's design. Scripture actually describes us as the offspring of God. Friends, you are an image bearer of the King. 
You are a means through which God himself, the eternal one, makes himself practically known in this world. That's extraordinary. The great author C.S. Lewis says, there are no ordinary people. Friend, you have never talked to a mere mortal. Because we are all stamped with the image of God. We all have inherent dignity and worth because of how we are made by him and for him. And friends, what we see as we study our Bibles is that this is not just a small idea for the Christian life. This idea is in the first pages of your Bible because it is essential to your Christian life. The idea of the imago dei being made in the image of God, this has significant implications for your life. God himself so, so cherishes and respects how we are made in his image that in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, God says that if someone steals another person's life, if somebody commits murder, he himself is to forfeit his life. That, that's how sacred human life is before God. We can't treat human life carelessly. And folks, listen, this must change how we view each other and how we view ourselves. This must change how we treat each other and how we treat ourselves. Let me just give you one example of this. If you have your Bibles, turn them almost all the way to the other side of your Bibles to James, the book of James in the New Testament, almost all the way towards the back. Let's turn to James chapter 3. The book of James is written to help Christians know how they can live for God in this world. And James chapter 3 in particular talks about how we use our words. James wants to talk about how we communicate with other human beings and how we should according to God's design. And so look at James chapter 3 verse 9 with me. James is talking about how, how we are to use our tongues to speak and to communicate. And he says this, He says, with it, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. What he's saying is that as Christians, you can't use your words to sing the praises of God in one moment and then to curse your spouse in the next moment. You can't walk into church on Sunday morning and then slander someone on social media Sunday afternoon. No, that can't be how it is. It doesn't work. Why? Because when you interact with another human being, no matter who they are, you are interacting with one of God's image bearers, someone who is stamped with his image. And so if, if you love God, you will respect the person who is in front of you. And so the person in the grocery line at the store who has 57 coupons, and and that you want to curse out for interrupting the flow of your day, they are an image bearer of God, and they deserve your respect. Your spouse and your children that you find so easy to be nitpicky towards and, and to whom your primary mode of communication is snide sarcasm, they're made in the image of God, and they deserve your respect. People with another political perspective than you that you want to blow out of the water with your logic and with your God-given conviction. Guess what? Even they are made in the image of God and they deserve your respect. People of every race and every ethnicity, no matter how diverse, made in the image of God and deserving your respect. 
Friend, even the person who has sinned against you and that you have a very just grievance against, they are image bearers of the king and they deserve your respect. Your your 1,400 friends on Facebook or your 700 followers on Instagram, you may not see them face to face very often, but every word that you type into that post, every letter, every tone is going to be seen and read by someone made in the image of God and who deserves your respect. And friends, it's not just towards other people. This is also about how we should in some ways respect ourselves. You are an image bearer of the king and deserve your own respect. And so, friend, listen, if the culture has convinced you that you are not good enough, not beautiful enough, not skinny enough, not fun enough, not sexy enough, not smart enough, not culturally relevant enough. If, if when you look into the mirror and you see yourself, the first thing that you feel is, is hate or loathing, you must go back to Genesis 1 as well and see what God says over you. You must see that you are made in his image, stamped with his dignity, even, even with your sinfulness, Even with the many mistakes that you've made, this fundamental truth has not changed about who you are. Friends, this is how we grow in our respect of others and ourselves. This is how we grow in our relationships and in our communication skills. The church must recapture and maintain and celebrate that we are made in the image of God and have dignity given by Him. We could do a whole sermon series on this, couldn't we? Maybe we should. I think our... Our culture needs it right now. For this morning, we have to move on. Point number two, the design of humanity. Now, we're going to keep this point short because Jason will speak more about this in two weeks when we get into chapter two, Uh, but we need to notice it here very briefly. Look at verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God goes on to direct how they are to live in this world. So so in these verses, we see that, that God did not create humanity in his image to then go and live however they want to live in this world. No, he created humanity in his image with a very specific design and with a very clear purpose. And so even as we talk about our dignity, it's important to remember that we are still created beings, right? We're made in the image of God, but we are not God. He has authority to design and dictate who we are in particular. And his, his word has law, is law over our lives. His word directs us and holds us accountable. And so, yes, this passage speaks to many hot topics in our day. Uh, this, this passage speaks to God's design of marriage to be between one man and one woman. This passage addresses our sexuality and our gender identity. We cannot self-determine what or who we are, and we can't self-determine what marriage is supposed to be. God has designed us in a very specific way, and we will be happiest, and we will walk with the greatest dignity when we acknowledge and honor who we are according to that design. Jason's going to speak more about this in two weeks when we get into chapter two, but here's the main focus of this point this morning. We were intentionally designed by God. Who we are, our minds, our personalities, our bodies are designed by God in a specific way, and that design is for our good and for our joy. 
And, and we see that this God-given design goes far beyond just our bodies. It also speaks to our roles and our responsibilities as people in this world. And that brings us to our third point. Point number three, the dominion of humanity. How many people feel as if they lack dignity because they do not know what they are supposed to be doing with their lives? Isn't it true that that people often feel as if they don't have any clear direction or purpose to their existence, and so they can feel as if their existence here in this world is in some ways a waste of time, a waste of space, a waste of purpose, and that they are failing to contribute to the greater good in any way at all? Many people can wonder what good they're doing by getting up in the morning and going to work and coming home and, and serving and caring and providing for their family. Life can begin to feel like this endless, pointless cycle of events. And friends, listen, I think that that can be true, particularly within the church, when we have made people feel that if they're not doing full-time ministry in some way, if they're not the pastor, then really, what work are they really doing in, in their vocations? I mean, pastors, right? Pastors are the people who are really doing God's work out there, and everybody else is just working in order to give their money so that we can continue to do what full-time pastors do. That can lead so many people to feel as if their own work, their own vocation, lacks dignity and worth. Well, friends, this passage can help us in this as well. God's good design of humanity deserves our respect and demands our diligence. His good designs not only speak to the dignity of our, our personhood, but it also speaks to our daily lives and how we diligently seek to honor and serve him. Look at verses 26 and, and 28 with me. In these verses, we see God use this language of us having dominion over the created world. That word dominion, much like the word subdue, which we see in verse 28, means to have control over something. To to have dominion means to have ruling power, to reign over something else or someone else. And folks, this speaks to our role as those who are made to be representatives of God and his power in this world. In a sense, we were designed by God to be his vice regents here on earth, to to live as kings and queens in this world, and to exercise our God-given power over this world in a loving and, and beneficial way. Friends, this should envision us all for what we can do with our lives day in and day out. God has created you in his image in order to exercise his power in this world and for other people's good and for his glory. And listen, this is a holy calling. This is a holy and righteous calling. Whether you are a pastor or a garbage man or a programmer or a stay-at-home mom, this holy calling is on all of our lives. Now, how do we do it? How are we faithful to exercise God's power in bringing dominion over this world? Well, there are two primary ways as seen in this text. One way is through relationships. The other way is through godly work and godly diligence in our vocations and in our jobs. First, first we exercise our God-given power to do good in this world by growing in relationship and by, as the text says, being fruitful and, and multiplying. This, this means that as, 
that part of God's good design for humanity was to increase the amount of people that were made in his image so that his image and his glory might be seen more and more throughout the world as the population grew. And so one of the most fundamental roles of godly marriage is procreation. God has commissioned his people to make little people who are also image bearers and then raise them up to be his representatives in this world. Friends, that really has implications for us today. God has created marriage and godly families to be a a primary way that he makes himself known throughout this world. And so husbands and wives, moms and dads, you are participating in a holy calling as you lead your family. Our children are, are little image bearers of God that God has called us to raise up to reflect who he is. And so how intentional, how ambitious should we be as Christian parents to disciple our families and to lead our kids to Jesus? It's one of the biggest reasons families exist. I saw Darby Trinzi post on, on Instagram recently that she's looking for help in knowing how to do family devotions with, with her family. I love that question. We should be asking that more. How can we lead our kids more effectively to Jesus? Now, this is not God's only design for us. This is not the only way that God advances his kingdom relationally. God does use the gift of family, but this is not the only way that he does his work. Right? Because in, in the New Testament, we see that after Jesus establishes the New Testament church, the church which is broader than, than the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, God's plan is no longer only about a physical family, but now about a spiritual family as well. The church, right? And so while in the Old Testament there was a focus on, on marriage and procreation, the physical family was key back then. In the New Testament, God's plan broadens beyond that. And so listen, if you're not married, if you've been single much longer than you had hoped, if you've never been able to have kids as a couple, or if you are struggling to get pregnant, you don't need to feel like you are failing in God's design and call to humanity. No, we are all participants participants in the call to fill the earth and to subdue it by being on mission together as the body of Christ, by evangelizing, by sharing the gospel, and by just doing the work of the church together as one. And this is a holy calling as well. And so we are to exercise God's power in this world by growing relationally in both these ways. But now we also see here that this call to have dominion also has a physical side to it. We exercise his power through our jobs, through our work. Folks, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are key. They are key to us having a right theology of work and vocation. And this is important because I think if we were honest many of us would say that we feel like work is only the result of the curse against sin, right? That we only have to go to work because sin came into the world and ruined everything, and that without sin, we would never have to do work. But what we see here, church, is that work is not inherently bad at all. The God-given calling to do work came before sin entered into the world in Genesis chapter 3. We see that here in our passage, and we see it in chapter 2 when it says that God put Adam in the garden to work it and keep it. Therefore, even our work has God-given dignity. Why? Because 
God is a God who works. He created this world, and now he commissions us to do his work in this world on his behalf. It's part of what he's called us to be and to do. And so when we talk about our work, we should talk about it with dignity and respect. God has called us to to use our skills and our extensive learning to to bring order and, and fruitfulness to this world. This should encourage you this Sunday. Listen, if you live in dread of Monday morning every week, this passage, Genesis 1, should encourage you because God says that your career is not just a necessary evil in your life. You don't go to work Monday through Friday just in order to to pay bills and to to provide for the church. No, your work has God-given dignity and glory to it, and God has called you to do it well. Your job, whatever it is, is an opportunity to fulfill this call upon your life, to have dominion over the earth, to bring about good in God's creation. And so whether you are a doctor who exercises your dominion over sickness and disease, whether you are a daycare worker who has dominion over a chaotic room of toddlers, or a caseworker who exercises dominion over the chaos of the foster care system, whether you are a garbage man whose work it is to, to help clean, keep this planet clean, whether you are a scientist who works to test and understand how this world works in greater detail, whether you are a plumber or a hairdresser or a stay-at-home mom or a politician who is seeking to work to bring order to their community, our work has dignity because God is using our work to bring about order to this world, and we should therefore do it with great ambition and great joy. This is the dominion of humanity. God's good design of humanity deserves our respect and demands our diligence. And friends, that brings us to our fourth and final point this morning, point number four, the declaration over humanity. Verse 31 says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. At the conclusion of the creation process, God assesses all that he had done and he declares it's very good. And church, we may love to read that. It may feel good to hear God's declaration of verse 31 about the beginning and that it was very good. But I also think that some of us can question that. If it was so good, why is it so bad now? If we were created with so much dignity, why is it so hard to see that dignity in ourselves and in others? Why are we so messed up as a culture? Why is there so much hate? If if God designed our work with dignity, why is it so hard to bring him glory in our work and in our careers? If we were to have dominion over this world, why does it feel like this world has dominion over us? Why does it feel like there's so much pain and sorrow and, and like we have so little power? It can feel like God's declaration in verse 31 is a lie. Our daily experience contradicts what we see here. But that's not because it was a lie on God's part. That is because sin, our rebellion against God, has ruined this good design. Our sin, your sin and my sin, has stolen so much of our dignity and has destroyed so much of our power. And so now this world groans under the weight of sin and we don't have power over it. It often has power over us. 
And folks, all of that reminds us that we need a redeemer to bring us back to God. When our sin has broken our relationship with God, when when our sin has stolen so much of God's design for us, we have nothing left to do but to look for a redeemer. What else can we do? And church, how thankful we can and should be that we have this redeemer. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Friends, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to Hebrews chapter 2 with me. Hebrews chapter, or the book of Hebrews, is all about the supremacy of Jesus over all things. It says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the, the, the creating force behind creation. The author of Hebrews wants us to know that Christ stands above all things, even over this fallen and broken world, and he hasn't lost. His design is not destroyed. And so listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, and I'm actually going to insert the word humanity into the place of the words man and him in order to help us to understand the author's intended meaning a little bit better. Read this with me. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is humanity that you are mindful of them, or the son of man that you care for them? You made humanity for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned humanity with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under humanity's feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to humanity, you left nothing outside his control. The writer of Hebrews is acknowledging God's design of Genesis chapter 1. He's saying, according to God's design, humanity is honored above all creation, and all of creation should be under its control. But, then he says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to humanity. The writer of Hebrews acknowledges how how different our lives are today from God's original design. We don't seem to have the dominion like God intended in Genesis chapter 1. But, he says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he, Jesus, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The writer of Hebrews is saying that God's design has not failed because God has sent his son to have dominion that we could not have, to live the life that we could not live. The writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus entered into the story. He laid aside his glory in order to restore our former glory. He became like us in order to make us more like him, to renew the dignity that had been lost to grant dominion to those who feel like they have no dominion, to give power to the weak, to give purpose to the hopeless, to take humanity which has fallen from glory and restore it to even greater glory, to make us more than just the crown of creation, to make us now the crown of his redeeming grace and work. Church, this world is not like it should be. Your dignity has been lost to some degree, but Jesus wants to restore it. He wants you to come to him with all of your brokenness, all of your shame, 
all of your mistakes and your failures, all of the things that steal your dignity, and he wants to take those things from you. He wants to forgive you of those things, and he wants to make you whole again. He wants to give you a new kind of glory and a new kind of calling in the gospel. He wants you to live under the new creation of his grace. He wants you to live with ambition now to make him known and to exercise his gracious power throughout your life so that the world might see and know how good he is. Friend, if you've never come to this one and if you feel like you lack dignity, and you are longing for, for wholeness and healing in your life, don't waste time. Come to this Jesus who invites you and, and calls you to, to confess these things before him and to receive his great forgiveness and then to live boldly and courageously for him. God's good design of humanity deserves our respect and demands our diligence. Church, let's come to this Jesus together Let's have our dignity fully restored and made whole, and let's live faithfully for him together. Amen? Let's pray.